But Father, this morning we just come to you. We come to you, Father, because you alone have the words of life. We have come today for more than wisdom, knowledge, or understanding. We have come, Jesus, for life. Your words are life. Your words are spirit. Your word has the power to work in those who believe. And today, Father, I pray, even as the ministry of the word begins, faith will arise in every one of our hearts. We will hear. We will believe. We will receive. We will obey. And we believe God's word will do its work in the lives of his people. Take authority in the name of Jesus. And I come against every distracting spirit. Every spirit that tries to hinder God's people from moving ahead with their destiny. I bind you in Jesus name. And I command you to be still and to leave this place. There be an opening of ears and hearts of God. Speak to us. For in Jesus name we pray. Amen and amen. I hope your minds are tuned in to all the messages. Uh, We've been listening to the past few weeks and keep listening over and over again. Because I know it's a difficult season, summer, but the best thing is to do, plug in your earphones and keep listening to the messages and keep a notebook on your side. Keep studying the Word of God. Okay, I know you've Often people find studying the word of God difficult. That's why God kept pastors and teachers in the kingdom of God so that we would teach you the word. And you know here we really teach you the word. And go back to the website and keep listening. That's one way you redeem your time. Remember the only thing on this side of eternity we have, which we won't have on that side, is time. God's word keeps on telling us redeem the time. For the days are evil. For next two hours, we will redeem the time. We need to study. We need to learn. In the past few weeks, we know we've been studying about the wiles, the devices of the enemy, the devil. When you study, if you want, if you are a child of God and you want to go ahead with God, move on with God, fulfill your God-given destiny, there are four fundamental things which we need to study very carefully. The first, of course, is God. We need to know God. And the only way we can know God is through Christ. Because Christ, when he came, lived among us, he's the exact representation of the Father. We know Christ, we know God. We need to know the person of God. Two, we need to know the text. Scripture. That's the word of God. The danger of knowing the word of God without knowing the person of God, you end up being a Pharisee. Remember, that's the danger. You should know the person of God and you should know the word of God. Both together. Know. They are, don't separate them. Don't separate them. Okay, every time you sit down to study the word of God, the primary purpose is, Lord, I want to know you. The person of God, the word of God, and then when you study the word of God, you know yourself. Third, 
thing. You and I really need to know who we are. Because the heart is deceitful above all things. The only thing that will actually show us, the Holy Spirit will show us who we really are. Is if you ask us, Lord, as I study, the scripture says the word of God is a mirror. Okay, we look in the mirror, we like ourselves. Or maybe sometimes we don't like ourselves. But that's not the real picture. The real picture of who we are is when we study the word of God. And through the chapters from Genesis 1 onwards, as you go through and you study the characters and study scripture, the Holy Spirit will start showing, you know, what we are, what we shouldn't be, point us to Christ, what we should be. Constantly, remember, keep that in your mind. We need to know who God is. We need to know His Word. We need to know who we are. And then, remember, we have an arch enemy. We need to know the enemy of our souls. If you know Christ, we know the shepherd of our souls. We know the enemy, an unseen, spiritual, powerful enemy. We need to know Him. We know need to know his devices, how he works. Remember last Sunday and previous Sunday when we were, when we looked at the, the ways of the enemy, the serpent in Genesis 3.1, he's introduced as the snake, the serpent. When he's first introduced in the Bible, he's introduced as the serpent. By the time we come to Revelation, if I write 12, uh, 7 or 9, uh, 9 I think, it says the ancient serpent. Okay? The young fellow in Genesis 3.1, by the time he comes to Revelation, he's an ancient serpent. Okay? Meaning, he has had, as of now, he's older than 6,000 years, but as of now, he's got 6,000 years of experience tempting and bringing mankind down. So we are no match. No match. That's one thing young people need to realize, you know. There's something which you can acquire because you are young and you have access to language and technology and all that. You can get wisdom, you can get knowledge, you can get talents, you can skill, you can get anointing, you can get all that. But one thing that differs, separates you from the older generation is you cannot have experience. You cannot have experience. That's why young people always need to seek the counsel of godly older people because they have one thing you don't have. They have experience. Okay? And experience is something which you don't get in books. You don't get in books. Okay? But when you remember, even the oldest living godly man on earth doesn't have the experience of the devil. He's got 6,000 years of experience dealing with man. It's the ancient serpent. But remember who we have. We have a God who is the ancient of days. No beginning, no end. So we are not by turning at certain periods through the year, turning our focus on the enemy. In no way are we glorifying the enemy. We are just being practical. Understanding the devil and his devices. But that's not enough. Knowing all the ways of the enemy is not enough. We need to know God. We need to know God's ways. Remember in this journey, 
It's a battle every day. It's a battle every day. Every day, whether you like it or not, it's a battle. We win or lose each day. And we need God every day, all the days of our life, all the way. So today we are going to turn our focus back to God. Okay? We're turning our focus back to God today. We'll get back to the devil because I'm not finished with him yet. Because scripture says in the book of Romans, very soon, the God of peace shall trample, crush Satan under our feet. Okay, so we need to know God so that he can establish his peace in us. Then that God of peace, when we have the peace of God guarding our hearts in any situation, that's the only time Satan is under our feet. That's where the devil does everything to take us, steal our peace, get us to be anxious and fight and scream and shout and do all kind of things because he knows the God of peace in us will crush his head. Okay, that's the first prophecy in the Old Testament in Genesis. You shall bite his heel, but you shall crush his head. Jesus says, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall trample the right place for the devil in our lives is under our feet. That's his rightful place and keep him there. But we need to know our God and know his ways, know his power, know his strength and how we can walk in it. So today let's come to a man called, I'm not teaching you from him, but just as a starting point. There is this period in Israel's history where Israel is no longer a nation, has been taken over by Babylon and the princes of Judah, Israel, all have been taken to Babylon and years have passed by. It's the 70-year captivity. God has started moving back again in the lives of people and there is a man called Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king and he's there in Babylon in the city called Susa, if I'm right. He's there and he gets this report about Jerusalem. Jerusalem's walls are down, the gate is burned, and the city is in ruins, and he is broken and shaken. And you you know the story, okay? You know the story. And that's the truth. The church, the spiritual Jerusalem is in a very bad shape, very bad shape. Walls are down, the enemy has kept in every, he's devouring the young people, they are hooked into all kinds of addictions. You know, the walls are down, the gates are burned. When scripture has actually promised the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That's not the actual reality. But the actual reality, if you look at what's happening, there has to be, like I said, not another revival. There has to be another reformation to get the church back on track. But revival or reformation always begins when one man or one woman is it's broken before God. It always, God always says, I look for one man to stand in the gap. And he said, I found none. In Ezekiel, he says, I found none. But you look through God's history, you will always see somebody will stand up and God uses that person. And that in that age, in that time, in that generation, it was Nehemiah who stood up. Okay. And Nehemiah will speak to the people. And this is one of his statements he makes in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 18. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me. And also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this 
good work. We need this. We need to be able to say, the hand of my God is good upon me. Before we can rise up and build and do this good work. We need the hand of the living God upon us. This is a man in Babylon. This is a man who has heard and seen now the ruins of Jerusalem. You see, we always look like this morning also, the first thing I get is a WhatsApp message of two pastors being taken into a temple in, forcibly being taken into a temple in Tamil Nadu and they are made to utter slokas and they have been put saffron paste and all over. This is what we see every day. You don't get it, I keep getting it from different places. But the whole idea is to intimidate into terrorize a small population. Okay? So that we don't rise up and build. These are just hands and feet, but the powers behind them are powers of darkness. And we look at the secular authorities and we look at, they're not secular. There's no secular authorities in India. They're not secular. They're all very religious authorities. But we need to realize, so was Babylon. And we sometimes forget What God himself says, the heart of the king is in the hand of our God. This is a very religious king. They were all very religious. And you will see the king. Nehemiah found favor with the king. Because the hand of God was upon Nehemiah. The king gives permission, offers protection and provision to rebuild Jerusalem. So don't look at authorities. Don't worry about the authorities. See that, how do I I align my life in such a way that the good hand of God is upon my life? Because my heart grieves over Jerusalem. Grieves over the state of Jerusalem. In Hebrews 12, Verse 22 and 23, talking about the church. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. So the church is the heavenly Jerusalem. See, this is what the prophet Haggai will always remind Israel, no? We are so concerned about our own lives, our own homes, our own careers. We forget the state of God's house. God says you have built your lives, you built your careers, but you are no go- going nowhere. You are heaped, but it all just goes away. He says, why? He says, because... Your heart is on, not on my house, on building my kingdom. Everything that we are building here is temporary. It will pass away. But that's eternal. And he says, our eyes are not on in the eternal. We are not moved by the plight of Jerusalem. Even in this nation and all the surrounding nations. All the surrounding nations. We are not moved. Even the most free nation, Christian nation. The believers struggle there to take the name of Christ. The men's magazine 
the most famous men's magazine, I don't know, QB? I don't know what it stands for, I forgot. You know, in US, their recent trendline article, this is an outdated book. It's an outdated book. You have to understand how vicious the enemy has turned the people against the living God in that country which is supposed to be the beacon for Christians. We had the Secretary of State being being confirmed. Mike Pompeo, the CIA director, was being confirmed. Though they have to go through Senate hearings. And the Senate hearings were so rough this time because they were asking his religious beliefs. Do you believe in same-sex marriage? Do you believe? Because you have said you are not for it. So the Senator Brooker, who was questioning him, was actually saying that anybody who holds these views should not be confirmed into any position in the U.S. government. Meaning to be a Bible-believing Christian, they're coming to that point saying that if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you should not be part of the government. We don't realize the attack is everywhere against the church, the believing church. If you're not a believing, compromising church, there is no issue. But if you're a Bible-believing church, the attack. And that's the spiritual Jerusalem. That's the heavenly spiritual Jerusalem that is on earth now. And God is saying, are we bothered? Are we worried? Are we concerned? Yes, when we accepted Jesus, or when Jesus accepted us, that day when we repented, we believed, we were made just. In our spirits, we were made just. We were born from above with the righteousness of Christ Jesus. That righteousness was imputed into us. We were made just. But that's only the beginning. At the end of the journey, he wants to make us perfect. It's a process. And every inch of the way to that journey... It's going to be a battle. That's why we need to know the devices of the enemy. And sometimes we don't realize the things that are happening in our own personal lives, in our homes, everything is because of this battle. Don't take it normal saying, oh, next door also they fight, this door also they fight. No, it's not the same. Don't generalize these things. Because he wants to Perfect his bride. Because he is perfect. And for that journey, there is a battle. And we need to be ready for the battle. So we need to understand the devices of the devil. Yes, we also need to understand and know our God and his ways. Our God is not arbitrary. He is not whimsical. He doesn't have mood swings. He doesn't do according to he feels like today and tomorrow wings at no he doesn't. You study the word of God, you will understand literally God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. We will quote and confess this only when it comes to blessing. We don't confess this when it comes to change. We selectively appropriate the blessings of God to feed our flesh. But that's not what the whole scripture means. Meaning God doesn't change. He's not whimsical. He's not arbitrary in the way. He, there are definite set patterns in which God moves and he works because the scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. The way God deals with man is always righteous. And men of God who went through in Incredible battles and sufferings and loss in their lives like Job. 
42 chapters of suffering and questioning. And in the 42nd chapter, he will finally turn up and acknowledge the righteousness of God. He says, earlier my ears had heard about you. Now my eyes have seen you. Shut my mouth. He declares the righteousness of God. After having lost all the people he brought out of Israel, 600,000 men and women he brought, except for two, Joshua and Caleb. The rest are all dead bones buried in the wilderness. He's Everything is over. He himself is not going to be allowed to enter in the promised land. Yet his final statement is, all your ways are perfect and they are judgment. They are right. They are justice. And he understands God is not whimsical. He won't bend something even for his best buddy on earth, Moses. I won't bend. Because you will I realize God is holy and righteous, he cannot bend. And if he could bend, his son did not have to die on the cross. He could have just bent some standards for us to enter. No, he doesn't. So understand there is a battle. God works on certain fundamental principles, which is the basis of his character. So if we want to fight this battle and we want to have the good hand of the Lord upon us in this spiritual battle, I'm not talking about prosperity in the material sense. There are a lot of ways in the world for that. We are talking about the hand of God upon us. Then we need to understand the ways of God. To the church in Philadelphia, there are seven churches in the book of Revelation to whom Jesus personally comes and he sends a message through John to the pastors of the church. And to this particular church, Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These things say, he who is holy. First thing to the church in Philadelphia, he is, I am holy. He who is holy. These things say, he who is holy. He who is true. I am holy. I am true. He who has the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts. And shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Study scripture carefully. You will realize to all the seven churches. Jesus will begin actually by saying, I know your works. To everyone, if you have ears to hear, he will say, I know your works. Know your works. Only two churches get a commendation and nothing negative. But to the first church, Smyrna, there is no open door. Only to one church in the history, 2000 year history of the church, to one church alone, God says, in the midst of unprecedented turmoil, because you will say, the trial that will come upon the whole earth, to you alone, I'll keep an open door. Because I know your works. As believers, as Christians, as a church, as churches, or the church of God in India, we're going through turbulent times. Very turbulent times. And God says, I'm the only one. We can open door. The government is upon his shoulders. 
The keys are in his hands. And the door that he opens, no man can shut. Why this church alone? He says, I know your works. Please remember that God inspects our works. He inspects our works. God created Adam to work. When we were all born again and saved by grace, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship. He recreated, redeemed us in Christ, created in Christ Jesus. Like Adam was created of the dust. We were born in the flesh of dust. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are we walking? So he comes to inspect our works. Whether we are walking in the works which he prepared beforehand. Even before you and I were born. He had prepared the works which we should do. Some are general, common to all of us. Some are specific to us. So God says, I come. And I check your work. I know your work. And that church, Philadelphia, you know what he says to them in verse uh, 8? He says, in verse 8, yeah, he says, you have very little strength. That was the weakest church. And the weakest church was the only one that had an open door. Look at that. We think the strongest church with the largest congregation, with the money coming in like in waves into the offering backs, with the largest number of people who are willing to work will have open door. He says, no, we have very little strength. Very little strength. But you have kept my word. I approve your work. I approve of your work. The work in a believer's life and the work through a believer is done by the Holy Spirit. That's a fundamental principle in the, in the, in the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. So you will see Genesis begins like that. The Holy Spirit is Hovering over the waters, waiting for the word to come from the Father. And when the Father says, let there be light, the Holy Spirit starts his work. So Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he begins the work of regeneration in us. The Holy Spirit is the actual one who does the work. He says, I know your works. You had very little strength, but you were strong in the Spirit. You allowed the Spirit to work through you. You had very little strength. You were submissive and obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You had very little strength, but you honored my spirit. You had very little strength, but you have kept my word in an incredibly hostile, compromising world. You kept my word. You don't have to know the whole world, whole word immediately, but what word you know, God says, are you keeping it? Are we keeping it? Are we keeping his word? It was a Bible reading, Bible preaching, Bible believing, Bible keeping church. 
Just not a 20 minute affair on a Sunday morning keeping people very happy, pleased, jumping, dancing and letting them go. No, it was not. Philadelphia was not that kind of a church. It was a church that was rooted in the word of God. And he says, you had very little strength. I like your works. I see they kept my word. And not only that, you have not denied my name. You, you honored my name. When the Ten Commandments is given in the, on Mount Sinai, God says, thou shalt not take my name in vain. When they ask him to teach them to pray, his first words are, hallowed be thy name. This is a church who did not take the word of name of God lightly, nor did they profane his name. They hallowed his name. There are people who will not profane his name. They won't take his name in vain. Neither will they hallow it. It's a church which did not take it in vain. They hallowed his name. They kept his name. They they magnified his name. So God says, you know what? This is a church which will happen. Have a open door. That's why certain people in the Bible, you will see, in spite of all the struggles and the attacks of the enemy, they will always have the good hand of the Lord upon them. They face trouble like no man. So many were the plans of the devil from every side to destroy them. But the good hand of the Lord was upon them. So in the time we have, no, in the time we have, we have very little time. No, I'm not talking about today's service. I'm saying time as time is. No, last, uh, yesterday into my inbox, I uh, this uh, PDF from this pastor called, I don't know, you know, you may have heard about him called Ray Pritchard. He's written this new booklet called Two Minutes Till Midnight. It's freely available if you know the site. It's a beautiful book you need to read. He is talking about how it's a very current uh, letter he has written about two minutes and he goes to the book of Peter where he says, uh, the time is near. Peter says, the time is the end of all things are here. Okay. The first thing he says, if you read that passage when God says time is almost going to be wrapped up, it's almost over. The first thing he says is be sober and be in control. Don't be an emotional believer jumping up and down like this. Be sober. This is the time to be sober in control. This is the time to be sober. Redeem the time. Be sober, spiritually sober, emotionally sober, intellectually sober. Remember, we are living in unprecedented times. Unprecedented times. Because there is, there is powers of darkness raging like never before and promised, prophesied by God in the last days. He said he will release all of them. He'll allow them. The power of a cult will increase in the last days. We have to negotiate our way through literally like a minefield laid by the devil and wicked men and women who work with him. And we have our, keep our eyes focused on Christ Jesus. But we are not afraid. Because remember the promise about the last days in the book of Daniel, they who know the Lord shall do mighty exploits. That was the offertory song, right? Greater things. They who know the Lord shall do great exploits. Even in the Olivia term, 
discourse when his disciples asking about the last days when Jesus talks about all the horror stories of how it is going to unfold. Remember? One, two, three, four, five, six. And the end will come. And if the days were not shortened, even the elect will not be saved. All that puts in the middle, he says something in Luke 21. He says, uh, Revelation 21, For I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Sometimes people miss, they only see the gloom and the doom. They don't see the promise in the middle of it. He says, lift up your heads. Your redemption is near. You will be hunted and hounded by all these people. You will be taken before authorities. He says, don't worry. I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Contradict and resist. You need to believe, Lord, Times are difficult. You have prophesied all these things. I don't think anybody can escape this. But when that hour comes in my life, I want your good hand upon me. And when I am brought into places, I want you to give me a mouth and a wisdom where your adversaries and my adversaries will not be able to resist or to contradict. I believe in you. I believe in your power. I believe in your sovereignty. And oh Lord, I want your hand upon me. Wherever, take it into personal life. You're going tomorrow for an interview. Say, Lord, give me a mouth. All the ones sitting in the line with me are my adversaries fighting for the same post. And if your hand is upon me, hand is upon me, I believe, Lord, I'll be able to answer in ways others cannot answer simply because your word says, I have the mind of Christ Jesus. Can anybody refute the arguments of Christ? Nobody could. The brilliant minds of his days, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Judaizers, the Levites, the priests, all gave up. They were scared to question him. They knew you couldn't argue with this man. So, in these kind of hours and in these kind of days, God says, my hand will be upon my people who know me. We need to know Him. We need to understand how God works. First, I want to turn to Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 to 9. Think about all if you have Daniels. Okay, no other life may not tally like Daniels, but say, Lord, change me and make me like a Daniel. Cleanse me with the blood of Jesus. I messed up unlike Daniel, but cleanse me. You can make me purer than Daniel because Daniel did not have access to what I have access in the new covenant. Make me like him. Give me his boldness, his strength and his purity. And we are in Babylon, a world absolutely under the control of the wicked ones. And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. One simple thing he said, Lord, I don't want to defile myself. Even in this land I have no freedom. But I don't want to defile. I've been brought here as a slave. I don't want to defile myself. That was his simple prayer. Simple purpose in his heart. And scripture says, scripture says, now God had brought Daniel into the favor and the goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. He's a big guy. He's like Nehemiah, the cupbearer. Big guy, the chief of the eunuchs. He controls practically the, the realm of the Babylonian king. The man whom the king trusts with his life. Very big guy. And scripture says, a young man makes a decision in his heart and God is immediately moving in the hearts of the secular authorities for his sake. 
That's what it means, the hand of the good hand of God upon us. Favor. God's people need favor. In difficult situations, difficult places, all your workplaces are difficult. What do we need? We need favor with God and favor with man. We cannot change the heart of men. God can. But we can change the heart of God by understanding what is important to God. A little thing. Little thing. Very little thing. It's over which Daniel took a stand. Now God is a God of little things. Those little things, remember last Sunday? Those little things mean great to God. Because he who's faithful in small things will be faithful in big things also. It's the little things that God watches, not the big things. Big things anybody will do. Almost everybody will be very zealous and excited to do big things. But nobody is excited about the small things of God. And here is a young man, 16, 13, 14, 15 year old, young teenager in Babylon with nobody, no family, no friends. Everybody has compromised. He alone first decides to honor God in a little thing. And you see the incredible supernatural hand of God moving in the heart of a eunuch who didn't know God. You know, the heart of authorities are in God's hand. Suddenly, the eunuch looks with favor upon Daniel. We need favor with God. And believe, if the good hand of God is upon me, I will have favor with God and with man, like Nehemiah had favor on God, favor with the king. You know, you imagine a king of Babylon with how many? 130 provinces, right? That's what Esther begins with, 130 provinces, right? Massive empire, noticing the expression on a cupbearer's face. That's how it begins. It's your face downcast. That's God. You cannot tell the king, Lord, I need to tell him. No, the king has to speak. And the king looks at his face and says, What's wrong with you? And he tells this is the king is moved. He said, Go. I'll give you protection. I will give you provision. I'll give a royal proclamation. Go rebuild Jerusalem. Favor. We need favor with God. We need favor with God. People can do anything to you. That's irrelevant. Your own family, your own brothers may sell you as a slave to the Amalekites and the Midianites. You may be taken in chains to Egypt. You may be put on the block and be sold as a slave. But God is still in control. He is the one who touches the captain of the guards. Very important man. His heart to buy Joseph. When Joseph is brought to his house, scripture says in Genesis, yeah, can I have 39 verse 4. Joseph found favor. He found favor in his sight. These are all Gentile rulers. These are not believers. Actually, Jewish kings God's people had always trouble with them. But his servants always had favor with Gentile kings because God was working. Meaning, it was easier for God to work in the heart of a Gentile authority than in the heart of a wicked Jewish king like Ahab or Manasseh or any one of them. 
Never underestimate our God. We need favor with God. We need favor with God. Immediately the devil rises up. There's a false accusation. He's thrown into prison. And scripture says, Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. He was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and he gave him favor. You see, this is all God's plan. God has a plan. Even before you're formed in your mother's womb, God has chosen you. God has set a plan for you, foreordained plan. And God had a plan for Joseph, revealed to him through through dreams. The dream was one day he would rule. And he's not going to rule sitting in Potiphar's house. He needed to reach the palace and God had made a highway through the prison. And it was not any ordinary prison. It had to be the king's prison where the king's prisoners came in, who came in from the palace. And if you are in a prison and you are chained in a cell, you are going to rot over there. So God showed that he had favor. So he has favor with the prison warden. And we will see the prison warden gives him the freedom and puts him in charge of all the other prisoners. So he's moving around freely in the prison. And there he will learn the language, the culture, of the palace, because he's meant to rule in the palace one day. There is a baker, there is a cupbearer, both who will come over there. God is planning it all out. So don't look at your misfortunes if you are walking with God as being out of God's plan. It's because you are in God's plan. But see that you have always favor. That the hand of the Lord is upon me. In this place, I'm going to fight God. I'm going to struggle against God because my future has been ordained in Christ. Like Joseph, I am destined to rule one day if I finish my race. I don't know how many years for you and me, but for him it was 13 years in the prison. 17 till 30. 13 years he had to be a slave before he could reach. But he knew he had favor with God and he had favor with man. That's how God works. That's how God works. Whenever God, you, you look through the Bible, whenever God has picked a man and before God picks a man and starts moving him, you will always see God has inspected his works and he finds him pleasing. Finds it's little things. Little things. Joseph in a little thing. Will you take this bread and check out on your brothers? He could have said, Dada, I don't want to go. It's so far away. It's almost 60 miles. Dada, send so many servants. You've got hundreds of servants. Why should I go? Can you imagine today's teenager being asked to go? Will he go? Can I book a Uber? And my brothers don't love me at all. They hate me. They don't talk to me at all. Dada, I am really scared. They are all older to me. They could beat me up. Nothing. Small thing. Small thing. Daniel in a small thing. Do you remember David? How? Chapter 16. When Saul has a problem. The servant recommends David. And David comes to the palace. What does scripture say? David came to Saul and stood before him. What is happening? This is a wicked king. Not a wicked king. He is not so wicked still. But he is oppressed by demons. Evil spirit. He comes and stands before David. The next thing he says, he loved him greatly. King loves this young boy. 
He became his armor bearer. Saul sent to Jesse saying, please let David stand before me for he has found favor in my sight. Did he do anything? Nothing. He hasn't even picked his harp. He hasn't sung a song. He just stood before him and God touched the heart of that king. So he had favor in his sight. Later things will change. That's also part of God's plan. He's turning everything for David. He's running. He's in the Philistine territory. And he has taken refuge under Akish, the Philistine king. And scripture says the Philistine king, under whose rule he will live for 16 months, he loved David. Now, how can a Philistine king love David knowing that David is the one who killed Goliath, his champion? That's God. Finally, after 16 months, it is time for David to get out. But the king loves him so much. But the Philistine leaders don't want David in the battle against Israel. So you know what the narrative is written over there about that? Akish called David and said, surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright and you're going out and you're coming in with me and the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Imagine a Gentile king telling a Jewish boy who killed his champion from the day you came, you joined my company till the today. Actually, I have no complaints. Nothing. I've seen, I've checked the cameras. You work. You take your tea break. If the company rule is five minutes, you're back before five. You don't sit and waste time. I have checked, you have nothing against. You know what? But I have to let you go. Because the rest of the board says, we need to let you go. But honestly, I love you. Therefore, return now and go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. If it was my choice alone, I wouldn't let you go. But I am outnumbered in this council. You see favor? You and I need favor. We will have enemies. All the days of our life. If you don't have, the devil will create a few. And they will stand up against us. But we need God to touch men. Men who matter in our lives. That's what happens when you have the good hand of the Lord upon you. Then, when it comes to Daniel chapter 1 and verse 17. Second thing. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. This is natural. This is spiritual. What you are struggling, breaking your head, Jyoti, is over natural subjects. Neat exam you call. It's not neat at all. M said need. No, law set, you name it. These are all secular subjects in this world. Scripture says, God gave them knowledge and skill. How to crack a cat exam? Skill. The others had no clue they, there were four cool cats walking in Babylon. In secular subjects, my question to you is that, When you read these things, why don't you believe? Yes, I'm competing with 500,000 kids. Or maybe more. But you know what? 
I'll do my part. I will work hard. But Lord, I need favor. I need favor with you. And I'm going to please you in little things and the big things. And I'm believing the hand of God will be upon me. And to Daniel, you gave him understanding. You are the leader. You are the one who stood up first. So to you, I will give you understanding in all visions and dreams. You see, these are not whimsical and arbitrary with God. This is all based on fundamental principles which God has spoken. Whom are you or who honors me, I will honor them back. That's the principle. I saw you in the little, little things. You stood up at the cost of your life, your career. You honored me. Now the time has come for me to honor you in the friend of those same people. I'm going to honor you. So God is not whimsical. God is not arbitrary. But we are not honoring God for a promotion. We are honoring God because he is God. They never expected this. Everybody will honor God if you are told that you come to church six days a week and sit and study. You will clearly pass MSET. You will all come. You will forget your books and sit here because you pass MSET. That is not what is happening here. Nothing is promised. Nothing is promised. Nothing has to be promised. Truth should be able to stand on its own. You don't need an incentive to stand for truth. It can stand on its own because it is true. That's what he tells the church of Philadelphia. I am the one who is holy and true. Does God have to be honored? Yes. In Jerusalem or Babylon, God has to be honored. The small things and the big things, that is the truth. You don't need an incentive for that. And God will honor them. These young men were in extremely difficult, hostile environment. Hostile to their faith. Hostile to their beliefs. Hostile to everything they had been raised up in. But they decided to honor God. Not only that, they not only decided to honor God, they were very humble about it. They didn't make a big fuss and a show about how they were honoring God. They were very quiet about it. They were not show-offs like the Pharisees. Very humble about it. God will intervene, especially with Daniel, and give him divine revelation. Like I said in the beginning, many of you will have to face interviews in life for admissions, for jobs, for promotion, do you realize the God of Daniel is your God? That he could actually go to an interview and you already know the answers of all the questions that are going to be asked? That's exactly what happened. The king, after three years, will question all of them personally and is stunned by Daniel and his three friends because they knew all the answers. You study the Bible and you will realize from the beginning there hardly has been a man or a woman who has had divine vision or visions who has failed in life. Whether it is a Noah, a Abraham, a Isaac, a Jacob, a Joseph, a Daniel, a David, these were all people who received visions from God and they ended up succeeded because they received a vision. 
to be received. Because that's, that's how Peter begins the church, right? You shall have visions and dreams. How are your dreams? Are you having demonic dreams wherein the dreams you are forever being chased by men and women and animals and reptiles and snakes? Or are you having divine visions where God is opening up spiritual truths to you? How are your dreams? Because everybody dreams. And dreams are from both sides. How are your dreams? Are you always seeing snakes? Or are you seeing revelations of God? Are you being harassed in your dreams? Are you being ordained in your dreams? Because the God of Daniel is your God and my God. Saw on Sunday where there is no vision. People fall away. People fail. Even in the world, the people who have succeeded in the world is those who had a worldly vision. Not world vision, a worldly vision. How much more in the kingdom of God? We need favor. We need a vision. And ask God, Lord, show me. Speak to me. Dreams, in visions. All I want is to honor you. All I want is to serve you. Speak to me, Lord. I just want to be like Daniel in Babylon. Like Joseph in Egypt. I just don't want to be a, a nobody in your kingdom. I don't care if I am nobody in this world. But I want to be somebody in your kingdom. When the annals of faith are opened and Hebrews 11 is going to be read, but Abel by faith and Enoch by faith and Noah by faith and Abraham by faith and Isaac by faith and Jacob by faith and as the list, unfinished list is being written, Lord, I want my name there. I want my name there, Lord. Give me a vision. Give me a dream that I might fulfill and finish the work which you ordained for me. When you created me. When you created me. Because remember, nobody sitting here who knows Christ is an ordinary person in the spiritual realm. That's why the enemy is after your lives. It's after our lives. In Daniel 2 and verse 21, the third thing. He changes times and season. He removes kings and raises up kings. God is sovereign. He can change times and seasons. He can. It's in his hands. Three months ago, four months ago, whole world was panicking, thinking that there's going to be a nuclear war with North Korea. Three months later, everybody is saying, what happened? He can change times and seasons. He can take one king off and put another king off. He can change an entire dispensation in the election for one child of his. One child of his. He can change. He's sovereign. Do we believe? He changes the times and the seasons. I believe that is what happened in the last election in the US. Their time was almost up. God said, your time is almost up. And I believe the believing church over there were praying and fasting. They were really. And God says, okay, I extend. I'm changing the time. This guy is going to win. And he's going to be a hard knock not to crack. He is going to be a fighter in the ring. He's not like what you think he is. 
he's be like Hazel and Jehu who needs to fight single handedly he's fighting what has happened the church time and season changed he's not a soft king like Hezekiah and Josiah and all to fight this people Hezekiah and Josiah are good in Israel in a world like this you need fighters who will fight for God's people and yes one thing is consistent he may be inconsistent in everything else but once it comes to the church he's consistent i got your back i'm for you and they all say never in the recent us history has ever a president stood up for the church like him i will protect your rights why because he changes the times and the seasons why can't you believe he can do it for this nation too why give up why give up so fast no it's not even the, the the neither the ballot nor the bullet matters to god because the change comes in the world through these two either through the bullet or the ballot neither change comes through god the iron curtain fell after 75 years without a single bullet or a ballot being used neither was there a ballot nor there was a bullet the iron curtain just fell communism collapsed because god said i am changing the situation because he removes kings and he raises up kings people may do it but i am personally not for christians going on the streets and sitting in parliament street holding placards and we don't do that get into your closets and pray because we have a king who moves kings out of their thrones He didn't ask ask us to be active on the streets and go on jada he didn't do when they were beaten up in Jerusalem streets of Jerusalem Peter and uh, and John and all didn't go to see Pilate and ask for missing they went into the closet and they started crying out to the lord and scripture says the holy spirit came and shook the place and filled them all over again that's what the church needs to do when you appeal to the secular authorities then we don't believe in the sovereignty of god We believe Nehemiah didn't appeal to the king. The king asked Nehemiah, and king said, "I have go take." And even then, do you know what Nehemiah actually said? He said, "You know what? We don't need protection." He took provision. He didn't take protection. He said, "I don't need your protection." He didn't say that way, but that's what he meant, because my God is able to guard us. God is able to guard us. Understand, our God is sovereign. our god can change times and seasons our god can change our god can change kings authorities he can change your boss and suddenly a new boss is brought in and he's such the kindest man you ever ah, how did it happen because god says every manager is appointed by me so don't magnify the devil or your afflictions Don't magnify your afflictions. That's what you read as you study the book of Acts. Every time the devil rose and used instruments of men to beat them, to throw them into prison, to lock them up, they magnified God. They did not magnify the affliction. They did not magnify the devil. They magnified God. Because John will say in 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose, Christ Jesus came and, That is manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. 
And one of the works of the devil is affliction in the lives of God's people. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We read in portion what Daniel is saying and what the kings are saying, but we don't need to understand the context. The context is this. Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. And he calls all his wise men of the kingdom and says, I know you guys, you are very chalu. If I tell you the dream, you will give me a hundred different interpretations. So you tell me what I dreamt and then give me the interpretation. They said, Lord, as far as we know in history, no king has ever asked any wise man like this. He said, you better get me an answer. I will kill all of you. And in that all was included Daniel and the three wise men. So Daniel went to the king and said, give me a few days. Let me ask my God. He came back and asked his friends, let pray, let us fast. And scripture says, God gave him the dream, what it was and the interpretation. That's what's happened. Affliction comes. But purpose Jesus came was to destroy the affliction. One of the works of the devil is affliction. That's why Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You and I want God to intervene into our lives. We need to fall in line with the character of God. Repent and get back. You can't change the past, but God can. In Psalm 34, 19 and 20, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. And it's not talking about bones as in bones. Many righteous people had their bones broken. That's not what he's talking about. Bones is what gives stability to my body. If there are no bones, I would just crumble. God says through all your afflictions, God will guard you and you will be still stable and sober through it all. That's what you see in the book of Acts. They are not crumbling under pressure. Like you know, some of our young men will put on their profile, Dhoni's finish. No, IPL recently, I, I, didn't, I, don't, I haven't seen any IPL matches from the time it has begun. Okay, But I see these profiles of my young men. On that they will put Dhoni finished well. Now let me ask you, even in sports and in cricket and all, why do they pick certain men for the final over? Because they don't crumble under pressure. 100,000 fans screaming, 5 balls to go, 12 runs to get. This guy is cool as a cucumber because he has been taught and he has trained himself how to handle pressure. How much more the saints of God who's got the God with them, in them, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he says, will you stand? Yes, you're going through afflictions, but the Lord will deliver them out of all and I will guard you. I will guard you. Stand there, firm, unshaken, unmovable. This will pass. That's why we say in English, tough times do not last. Tough people do. Righteousness automatically catches the attention of the devil. And you are in his crosshairs. God says, affliction will come and I love you. By the time it's over, you will be even more righteous if you stand. Because I am sovereign. The more the power and the hand of God upon you, the 
greater the warfare, not less. Not less. The greater the afflictions, the greater. Look at all the men of God. Why did they have to fight so much in their lives? It's only because they were righteous and the hand of God was upon them. The Holy Spirit, God is not giving the anointing of His Holy Spirit for us to lie in our hammocks. He's giving us the anointing of the Holy Spirit to fight the devil and break every yoke of His in our lives and the lives of others. When Paul and Silas were outside in the marketplace, because of the anointing that was upon them, they could deliver one servant girl out of her possession. But when they, in their affliction, went into the prison, and when they started worshipping under that same anointing, the chains of all the prisoners came off. Which ministry do you want? One or many? That's the question God is asking. That's why we remain stable. We remain stable and say, Lord, let the good hand of the Lord be upon me. I need favor, Lord. You are sovereign over all my situations, O Lord. Times and seasons are in your hands. Yes, prophecy is written. Yet I know, Lord, it is not set. You can change. You can lengthen. You can shorten. You can do all kinds of things because it's all in your hands. You can take one king and put another. That's what God is talking about. God delivered His people. He has the power to change anybody. Anybody. It's the power to change anybody. That's what we see when that happened. Daniel, and he goes in and he asks and he prays in verse 17 and 19. You will see that, right? Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to his three friends that they might seek mercies of God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. The question is, how strong is your prayer life? Prayer is a very hard work, you know that? Not an easy work, it's a very hard work. To get your mind and your soul and your everything focused on God is not easy. To get focused on the TV is very easy. To get focused on God without losing your attention is not easy. And while they were in prayer is when Daniel received that vision. How is our prayer life? Or are we crying about our affliction? In James chapter 5 and verse 13, James the apostle the, will say, Is any one of you afflicted suffering? Let him. That's your only solution. Not cry. Not get on WhatsApp. Not moan. He didn't say, Is any of you afflicted? Let him. He didn't say, Fight with your wife. No. Blame your children. No. Shout at your boss. No. He says, just pray. Are you afflicted? Yes, Daniel was afflicted. His three brothers, um, spiritual brothers were afflicted. All of Babylon's wise men were afflicted. But they took it in prayer. And God gave Daniel the answer, the secret. And they're out of their affliction. When affliction comes, don't cry and worry. Don't get drunk to drown your sorrows. Let him or her pray. Daniel had three prayer partners and they prayed. Have you noticed in everything? Wherever he's mentioned, it's Daniel who initiates. The devil brings affliction to hurt us. 
But God says, Luke 10 and verse 19, I give you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by means, any means, Affliction shouldn't hurt us. It should improve us. By any means hurt us. That's scripture. Question is, do you believe? Do you believe? If you believe, then how come your confessions are all, I can never forget what he did to me. I'm so hurt. God said, nothing will by no means hurt you. If you are righteous, you have power over all the power of the enemy. You haven't prayed. You haven't prayed. Wiles of the devil should not hurt us because he has no power to hurt us. He has power to intimidate us, hurt us physically, but our soul, our spirit, untouched. Please remember the devil is not our friend. He doesn't want you in the hospital. He wants you in the coffin. Doesn't want you in the hospital. He wants you in the coffin. You and me, he wants us in the coffin. And God says, fight that good fight. It's a battle you are engaged in. God has already prophesied over his children, you are more than conquerors. But he says, now fight and prove. You have my word. You have my spirit. Fight and prove. Let me have the glory and the joy of a father seeing his sons and daughters beating him left and right. That's where he gets his glory on earth. Fourth one, Daniel 2.22. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness. He knows what is in the darkness. Do you know that's what happens in all these nations? Occult in the hours of darkness. They are doing all kind of witchcraft and spells and shedding blood and drinking blood and doing all kind of things against God's people and against each other. That's how power is sustained in nations. Yet, the secrets of darkness belongs to God. God says, if you walk in my ways and you pray, I will show you what your enemies are planning. You can cut it off at the root. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Do you know the weapons that are formed? Secrets belong to God. They belong to God. He can actually show you a future. He can show you the secret meetings that takes place that are made to destroy you because he knows what is in darkness. They can hide from everybody. They cannot hide from him. Men of God always had enemies plotting and planning with powers of darkness to destroy them. Always. That's how power is sustained. You look through the Bible, you look through the history of any nation. What happens? A king will have wise men, astrologers, magicians all around him. These are the ones who sustain his power through occult. These are the ones through occult give him counsel. That's how he holds his reign. That's why whenever a king fought another king and they defeated, he brought his gods also and put him over there to increase his power. 
That is why when the Philistines took the ark, they took the ark and took it to their temple. They have no issue with any God. Just add to my power. They didn't realize he is the only one. He knows what is in the darkness. He says secrets belong to him. The enemies that pursue us are not interested in the status quo. They are not. They will rest only till we are destroyed. They will come to steal. They are not satisfied. Kill. No. Destroy our entire khandan. Let me ask you a question. In the place of the enemy, you go to a yard and you find a viper and his five eggs. You will kill the viper and leave the eggs alone? You will destroy the eggs? That's what it means to kill, to destroy. Why is he after the young generation? To destroy the seed of the woman. Not just kill the parents. Kill the next generation. There's no compromise in this battle. We are fighting powers of darkness. Pharaoh did not follow Israel to the Red Sea to talk, but to destroy. But God destroyed Pharaoh and his army. Goliath did not go to the battlefield to chat with David. If David hadn't killed him, he would have killed David. On Mount Carmel, if God hadn't intervened and answered Elijah's prayer, they would have killed Elijah. Instead, Elijah killed them. These are all symbols to show us what actually happened. That's what I say. You study the Old Testament real battles, it will show us how we fight spiritual battles because we are not fighting flesh and blood. We are fighting powers of darkness. We are not fighting man. We are fighting the powers that empower them. And we look at and see that it's a real battle. It's a real battle. That's why I said in the kingdom of God, everything is tangible. Peace is a real thing. I can't hold peace, but it is real in the spiritual realm. My peace, I live with you. You go to a house and say, peace. Jude will say, the devil is bound in chains of darkness. Darkness is tangible in the spiritual realm. Once you're bound in darkness, you will never see light. That doesn't, does that mean he cannot see? He can never see God's truth. And he walks in darkness, spiritual darkness. Because he's bound not with physical chains. He's bound with darkness. And that's what scripture says about the judgment at the end. Some will be thrown to outer darkness. These are tangible real things. The spiritual realm is even more real than the physical realm. Here I cannot touch light. Their touch is light is tangible. Here I cannot touch darkness. Their touch is tangible. You will understand, realize one day when we die and reach that this was not the real world. That was. So when you fight spiritual enemies, you fight it with spiritual weapons which become tangible for them. That's why they are afraid of prayers that is empowered by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit because it actually becomes tangible weapons and cuts them apart. When Elijah called on fire from heaven, that fire came and burned up the servants of the king. In the same way, when you pray fire prayers, when the Holy Spirit empowers you, demons are fried on the other side. When the prophet talked about blindness, the Midianites were blinded and they were killing each other. When the prophet or the man or the woman of God prays that the Holy Spirit leads, the demons turn and starts cutting each other. So real. God says, get into Understand, but keep your life clear. 
That's why he says, put on the full armor of God. No chinks in your armor. Walk under the blood. Stay under the blood. Destroy this princess of darkness who would otherwise destroy us. Because no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. Understand, when the Bible uses terms, David uses terms, what does he actually mean? These are all given to us. He in this Natural spoke spiritual things he did not understand. We in the spirit, because we are born of the spirit, the Holy Spirit will show us what actually it means because they were all written for us upon whom the end of ages has come. In Psalm 27 verse 2, scripture says, When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh and my enemies forced, they stumbled and fell. You mean his enemies ate his flesh? Prophet Isaiah and Isaiah 49 verse 26. I will feed those who oppress you with their own flesh and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. All flesh shall know that I the Lord am your savior, your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. What are they talking about here? In every occult ceremony all, like just now they, two, two weeks back or one, like two days back, they discovered one of the largest sacrifice in Peru, right? Over 126 babies were sacrificed 500 years ago. One of the largest sites they find. Why do you think happens in all these places, occult places all over the world in secret? They drink blood and they eat flesh. Why? It's flesh here. It's your body. Blood is your life. In occult when they are eating the body and the flesh, they are destroying their enemies, that your body will not function and your life is in our hands. Now you understand why they got so offended when because they didn't understand the spiritual justice that you will not have life until you drink my blood and eat my flesh. That's your power to fight them. Because this is a spiritual fight. This is not physical. This is a real war we are fighting. Because they in the spiritual realm are drinking blood of their enemies and eating the flesh of their enemies. Jesus said, you drink my blood and you eat my body until I come. Do not stop this because when I come, battle is over. Then you don't have to do it. Your victory lies when my body is your body and my blood is your blood in the spiritual realm. They cannot fight that. This is war, children. This is war. And there's no way out. You're born again, you're born again into a battle for life. That's why, guard your loins. Put on the full armor of God. Stand in the full might of God. Take up your weapons of warfare. The word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. And praying in the spirit, all kinds of prayers as the Holy Spirit leads. Because what sharpens the edge of your sword is the Holy Spirit. That is the anointing. That is what, if the anointing is not, the Holy Spirit is not there, all this still will not work. Isn't that what? David cries when Jonathan and Samuel is dead. He said, they are dead. Let Gilboa be dry. Why? Because there was no oil on their shield. Oil on the shield. But that's why he told, after three and a half years of ministry, training, practical, theological, everything, he said, wait. Go, he said, but wait. Until you have received power from above. And you need that power every single day of your life. To fight this battle. That even if you finally die in this battle. You die as a conqueror and overcomer. We are in battle. 
Jesus has power. He actually shows us, demonstrates to his disciples how powers can destroy. No fig. Dry. Life just went out of the fig tree. Just went out of the fig tree. Do you, do you, do you see the sorcerer who wandered the Holy Spirit by laying of hands are willing to pay? Peter said, go in darkness. Anyway, they had to lead him out in darkness. Ananias fell dead. Tafira came without knowing. What did Peter say? The ones who carried your husband's body are still here. They can carry you also out. They were fighting real wars. See, the church was not infiltrated by the enemy in the beginning. Understand our God is a man of war. Our God is a we are not fighting flesh and blood, we are fighting powers of darkness. But in the process when you fight powers of darkness, what will happen is men and women may die who are aligned with them. I heard the story of a a lady who was going through all kinds of afflictions. And then she went for prayer and she went for deliverance and the pastor led her through the whole process of cleansing us of this thing and said, all the powers of affliction in my life die in Jesus' name. In that week, three of her relatives died, including her father and mother, who were the reason for her affliction. And they were doing witchcraft to stop her because she had become a believer. That's why Jesus said, Any man loves his father or mother or wife or children more than me. You can't fight this battle. Some of them may join on the other side and fight you and do every kind of occult to stop you from fulfilling your heavenly father's purpose. Are you willing to fight this battle? Are you willing to be a Levite? That's what the call was given when Moses came down from the mountain. Only the Levites came to his side. All the others stood back. He said, strap your sword onto your side. Go into the camp and kill. Father, brother, uncle, everyone who has worshipped the idol, kill. And 3,000 died that day. It's a battle. Real, real battle. We are fighting for the souls of people. And we are fighting for the honor of our king. We are not fighting flesh and blood. Daniel chapter 6, sixth, fifth one. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke saying to Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually being able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. God sent his angel. My God sent his angel, shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also king, I have done no wrong before you. Our God It's a God of deliverance. Our God is a God who delivers. In this particular case, when God literally intervenes and shut the mouths of lions. Okay? If you're having a lion attack, a roaring lion, people are biting you, and you want the lion's mouth to be shut, we have a God who delivers and shuts the mouth of lions. But before you go into Remember, I was found innocent before him. I was found innocent before you. I was found innocent before God. And I was found innocent before man. 
That's why in Hebrews 12:14 scripture says, pursue what? Peace with all people and holiness with God. Pursue. You can't change things, but you can pursue peace. Sorry. One simple word. I'm sorry. Forgive me. It's over. Forgive me. I'm out of this. Pursue peace. You are innocent before God. Innocent with man. God will shut the mouths of the lions. We have a God who delivers. Our God is a deliverer. He can part the Red Sea. He can quench the flames. He can shut the mouth of lions. These are all spiritual truths. Physically shown in the Old Testament, spiritual, they fought flesh and blood. We fight powers of darkness and he will part anything the devil has spread before us. He will quench any fire the devil tries to light in our life. He will shut the mouth of any lion who roars and barks against us, comes against us. The devil is a roaring lion. And the devil uses the mouth of men and women to hurt God's children, to discourage them, to depress them, to destroy their testimony. But remember, Joseph, Daniel, David, remember on these people. Now God is the God of Daniel. He will shut the mouth of the oppressors. That's why scripture says, every tongue that rises against you, judgment, you shall condemn. Shall condemn. Say, I condemn it in Jesus' name. God of Daniel, deliver me from the mouth of these lions that rise up against me. Help me to be blameless before you and be before man. Because you, I see, are a deliverer. Let the good hand of God be upon me. It doesn't stop there. In verse 26 and 27, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one who shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and he rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Our God has a speciality. He's just not ambiguous. He's done a speciality. He specializes in science and wonders. In heaven and in earth. He's no ordinary God. He uses ordinary men and women as a sign and a wonder. When Daniel, sorry, when Moses was sent to the most powerful regime known then, the most powerful nation known then, Egypt and to the Pharaoh, he was sent with an ordinary stick. Just an ordinary stick. An old man with an ordinary stick. You know what scripture says? In Exodus. You shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do. He said just take the stick. Our God sits in heaven and he laughs. And the Pharaoh with his counselors and wizards and astrologers and his chariots and his army is unable to fight one man with a stick. That he said, Moses rod. With that, you shall do signs and wonders. Jeremiah 32 and verse 21, scripture says, You have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and outstretched arm, and with a great terror. 
It's given you and me one book. That's all you and I need. We don't need another book. This one book. It's not holding this book in your hand. It's holding this book in your heart. And allowing the Holy Spirit to release it through your mouth. And in your life. We become a sign and wonder in the spiritual realm. A man and a woman who cannot be broken by afflictions. Who can be pursued and never be overtaken. Who can be pushed and never be brought down. Because you and I, God said, are a sign and a wonder to this generation. Because our God, this is coming from a Gentile God. Looking at Daniel. Your God. It's a God who works signs and wonders. That's what we are here for. The devil has, a devil's, Matthew 24 says, he has like false signs. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. He will try to use false ones. How do you distinguish the false from the right? Check their doctrine. Check what they teach. Do they lift Jesus up and they point people constantly back to the path of righteousness? They don't lead you to the truth. They don't lead to radically change lives. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, scripture says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and sign and lying wonders. Those wonders don't lead you to truth. He will use signs and wonders to deceive. But God uses signs and wonders to establish and deliver us from the power of sin. Israel was taken out of the captivity of Egypt and brought to the wilderness through the mighty hand of Moses through signs and wonders. He takes us from the captivity of sin and of the flesh and this world and brings out into a place where we are free. That is what is happening. Then that sign is true. That is not happening. It's feeding your flesh. It's a lying sign. So say, I will not limit the hand of God by unbelief in my life. That's what Israel did. He said, you limited my hand by your unbelief. That's what the apostles will say. That's what God's servants will say through the ages. In Romans 15 verse 19, Paul says, In mighty signs and wonders with the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Signs and wonders. I've seen in my life in these 25 years how God has absolutely done supernatural things. Impossible for man to deny. And you go into difficult places where you're not allowed to go. When you go into restricted areas and underground churches, how God blinds officials and policemen and cops and soldiers. All you have to do is what the Spirit says. You made seeing eyes blind. Blind eyes see. Now Lord in Jesus name makes seeing eyes blind. Once I was carrying cash to another country for the underground church and I was in the first seat of the bus and I had one lakh in cash. And at the first stop, the soldiers get in and says, everybody get out. Open your bags. Unlock your bags and everybody get out. My heart was going, top, top, Lord, what do I do? It's gone. They may release me, but the money is gone. It's meant for the church there. All I pray is, Lord, let them not see. You wouldn't believe. That guys are going back, 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 back. My seat is first one next to the door. And they come out without opening my bag. 
God is able. More than able. One's coming out from another place and the church has said, watch out, three check posts on the way, don't take this. They will check. I come to the bus stand with the whole church over there to see me. Or suddenly the driver comes running and says, oh, why are you all here? They said, no, pastor has come from India. He's going. He said, oh, Jaimasi, Jaimasi, I'm also a believer. He said, sir, sir, give me your bag. And he took my bag with the Bible and put it into the toolkit box which belongs to the driver which is never checked. First check post cops are all over checking everybody's bag. My bag is in the toolkit. Do you believe this God? It's a sign and a wonder. And I get a free lunch too. Because the drivers never pay for their lunch when they stop. So I sat with the driver and ate a free lunch. That's also a sign and a wonder. Our God is real. That's why Ephesians 6.10 will say, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power. We have, We cannot fight this battle. But we can in Him. In him we can. Be strong. Be strong. That's what David is talking about. The f- battles he's fighting. He knows it's physical and he knows it is spiritual. In Psalm 120, Psalm 27, he will say in verses, The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and forces stumbled and fell. Why? Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this I will be confident. He wrote this. Elijah experienced it. Elisha experienced it. Remember Gehazi? Shaking? You see, oh, Elisha is cool. Finally panic. He said, okay, Lord, open his eyes for a couple of seconds. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. I know what this is. Your word says ministering angels are sent to those who believe. I told you last Sunday, if you see royalty, the king's children or the king's family, they're always covered by bodyguards. The problem is we don't see we are king's children. We're surrounded by royal bodyguards. Angels watch over his children. You need to believe. We need to believe. Nothing is going to happen to me unless my father wills. And if it, it is for my good. It is not for my bad. It is for my good. Because we are fighting a real, real battle with powers of darkness. Remember? I said 49, I showed you earlier. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of the righteous be delivered? But this says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away and the prey of the terrible be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you and I will save your children. I will save your children. That's where the power of God's word comes. Because God says, you are a sign and a wonder. Israel shall be for me a sign and a wonder. That was their destiny. They messed it up. But even now, every report you get, no. Even the Palestinians see what has happened. We shoot a rocket and it just goes away. You have to see that that movie called uh, that when the they attacked Entebbe. Remember 90 minutes at Entebbe? You have you have to see that movie. 
when they go in. And that was a different breed of soldiers. In that final scene before they actually land to rescue the Israelite prisoners held in Uganda, they are singing and worshipping God in the plane before the commandos come out. The commandos are worshipping in Hebrew, singing to the Lord. An incredible scene. Unbelievable scene. I, my heart was pounding when I saw it because I know that song because we have sung in that in this church, Israel. And these soldiers are singing before they're going to come out and they could die. And they could rescue nobody. But they rescued everybody. And only one soldier died. You know who was the soldier? The colonel who died? The current Israeli prime minister's elder brother. Colonel Yohanan was the only one. Jonathan was the only one who died. Benjamin Atenhu's brother. Those, because our God fights for his people. Incredible battle scenes. And you have to believe. That's why the Old Testament is given to us. Not just New Testament. You learn physical warfare. Apply it in spiritual. How you fight this battle. You remember Jesus' final promise in Matthew Mark 16? These signs will follow. Those who believe. In my name they will fast. Fasting. I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall cast up demons. Do that every day in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Anything unclean has come, go. This is the temple of the living God. I belong to God. I am his property. You have no right to stay here. My mind, my body, my soul, my spirit set apart for him. Be cleansed in Jesus' name. Go. My thoughts, my minds, ideas, imagination, nothing about the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Get out, leave me. I belong to him. They will speak in new tongues. They will take up serpents. They are not afraid of demons. They are not afraid. Are you afraid of demons? I met every demon of every name, including Indian gods and Greek gods and Roman gods during deliverance. Every name I've called out and they have come out. And they have told their names too. I never, you see, God had ordained my future that when I grew up, I grew up in a land with no Christianity, with parents who were English teachers, with a house full of books, the library fulls and all the Greek epics and Roman and Iliad and Odyssey, everything I read. So I knew the names of all these gods, including the Egyptian ones. So when I'm doing deliverance and saying, what's your name? My name is Isis. Isis, are you Osiris' wife? That demon did not know I knew her husband's name. Osiris, Isis, Horus, Ra, I knew them all because God had trained me even before I knew him. You think these are stories? These are not stories. These are demons, real demons people have worshipped down the centuries. and They have not gone away. They are manifesting back all over again in Europe. Now they have started worshipping their old gods. When Olympics come, we pay and sit there. What is the first ceremony that takes place? Is a worship of those same demons. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. There's occult going on over every food thing that is sent into the market to captivate people. God says, you don't worry. You take it. Nothing will influence you. They can put whatever they want. You are under my blood. Don't fear. Protection. Protection. These signs shall follow. I have no clue the amount of occult that goes in practically 
everything that we buy. Nothing is neutral. Because we partake of his body and his blood by faith. Not real, but by faith. That's why Jesus said, and they were upset in John chapter 6. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. They couldn't understand. He's speaking spiritual truth. On the other side, this he's saying they are drinking flesh and blood to may destroy your life. And you will be destroyed if you don't drink my blood and flesh. They cannot fight that. They said, what is this? Are we making into cannibals? No, these are spiritual truths in spiritual realm. We need to fight the good fight. So this morning, as we close, I want you to stand up. The Holy Spirit through Paul in the letter of Ephesians says, do not give a foothold to the enemy. The enemy is always looking to encroach into God's territory. And we are his territory. We are his kingdom. We are his temple. Ask the Spirit of God to show. He will show. Just put it away. Just confess. Reject. Repent. Ask the blood. Because scripture says, if we confess, he is faithful. And the blood of Jesus. That's how we partake of the blood. The blood of Jesus. That's how we partake of the of his body, the word of God. He's the one, who, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Unless we eat that flesh, unless this word becomes part of us, integral part of our spirit and our soul and our thinking. When it becomes, the devil has no place. When we believe and when we confess and when we repent, the blood starts working in our lives. Because scripture says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even unto death. Repeat with me. Father, I just come to you this morning. I repent of everything that you show me, Lord. I confess that I have sinned against you. Forgive me, Father. And I confess. And I believe that the blood of Jesus cleanses from me of all unrighteousness. Cleanse me now, Lord. Sanctify me, Lord. Oh, Spirit of God, empower me, Lord. Let nothing of the enemy have place in my life. I belong to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. I take authority now in Jesus' name. And I command every oppressor that has been following these children, stealing their destiny to leave them now in Jesus' name. All the oppressors who have been after their flesh and blood, you will drink your own flesh and blood and die in Jesus' name. Everyone who has come after your children, O oh Lord, here to destroy them will die instead in the order of Haman. They will die. No weapon that is formed against us will prosper. Every lying tongue that rises against in judgment, we condemn it now in Jesus' name. We are weak. 
Lord, you are strong. And I pray, Father, your people will be a people who will keep your word and will not deny your name. And I pray, Lord, they will all experience an open door, an open door in their lives all the days of their life, Lord. A door that no man can shut. No power of darkness can shut because God who holds the keys, God upon whose shoulders the government is, has opened that door for them, Lord. We believe, we believe, Lord, we believe. We believe that we have favor with God and with favor with man. We believe that times and seasons are in your hands and if children have been experiencing season after season of failure and rejection, I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that season will change and they will start experiencing season of favor and season of victory, O oh Father, in their life. If they are facing opposing forces in their workplaces anywhere, O oh Lord, you are the one who raises kings and deposes kings, O oh God. And I pray, Father, they will find favor favor wherever they go Lord because they choose to honor you even in the small things oh Lord oh Father we just want to magnify you in your house this morning just lift your name oh God for your word says for this purpose the son of man came that he might destroy the works of the devil let every work of the devil be destroyed in our lives in Jesus name every work of the devil. Doesn't matter how far back into the generations it is. Let it be broken in Jesus name. And these children. Many many here. With unbelieving parents. Or spouses who do not believe. I pray let them experience a change in their season now Lord. That you would touch the hearts of their parents. They would touch the hearts of their spouses. Touch the hearts of the Gentile masters. That they will find favor. Let this be the year, O oh Lord. The eleventh year is coming. Let this be the year of favor, O oh God. Favor with God. Favor with man. We need favor, Lord. We need the favor of God, O oh Master. Your children need wisdom and understanding. Divine revelations, O oh Lord. They need to see the secret things that is hidden from man, O oh Lord. These are your promises for the generation, Lord. And I pray, Father, they will receive visions and dreams from you. And they will perceive the wicked plans of the enemy and destroy it before it is hatched, O oh Lord. Let there be a release of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your body, Father. But above all, I pray, let them always remain humble under the mighty hand of God. For your word says, submit to God and resist the devil. I pray, Lord, everyone here today hearing and those who hear over the weeks on the message on the net will humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. And the devil will flee. We will experience daily your victory in our lives, O oh God. Commit all the children and the brethren who are out of station. Commit them, Lord. They are not here today, but by spirit, we join ourselves with them. And we receive that victory for them too, Lord. That all of them, wherever they are now, Lord, you are the same God. You are able to reach their lives, even now, their minds, their bodies. I pray and I speak deliverance and release for them too, Lord. 
And those who have to listen to the message by tonight, oh Father, I pray even as they hear the message, the Spirit of God will work in them, Father, and I pray that they will experience your deliverance, oh Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. You are our deliverer. You are our redeemer. We are more than conquerors in you, Lord. All we want to do now, Father, is lift up holy hands and bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we proclaim in your house, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, Lord. Go before us, Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Every rough road smooth. And come with glory in our lives, O Lord. That Christ may be lifted up in our lives and in our homes, O Father. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Go before us this new week, this new month. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Rest and abide with all of us, every one of us, until the hour of His coming. Amen. He can move the mountains, keep me in the valley, hide me from the rain. My God is awesome, heals me when I'm broken, strength where have been Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He is awesome.